Hello, you're listening to the Dietitian Cafe brought to you by New Ultra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. My name's Harriet Smith, and I'm a registered dietitian and founder of HRS Communications. In today's episode, we're diving into the world of supermarket nutrition. We're going to be exploring how nutritionists working in retail balance commercial goals with nutrition, discussing the impact that they can have on public health and considering the role of retailers in changing the nation's diet. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by health manager, Dr. Emma Williams, to shine a spotlight on the role of a nutritionist within the supermarket setting. So Emma, over to you to tell us a bit more about yourself. Thank you, Harriet, and thank you for inviting me to do this podcast today. Yes, I'm one of the health managers at Waitrose and Partners. I've been in the business for nearly, well, just over seven years now. Um, and I originally studied uh, food technology and management at the University of Ulster in Coleraine, and then went on to do my PhD in human nutrition. I have over 20 years of experience today across the sector in all sorts of areas, ranging from food manufacturing to academia, clinical research, nutrition science communications and food retailing. And I'm delighted to be here today to discuss this topic with you. Thank you, Emma. And I'm really excited to find out more about your role. I think for a lot of dietitians and nutritionists listening, it will probably seem like a dream job to them working at Waitrose as a health manager. So in this episode, we're going to talk to Emma all about her personal experience of working in her role as health manager. She's going to tell us a bit more about what the role entails. And also she's going to offer up advice for any listeners who might wish to pursue a similar role in a retail setting. So as many of you will be familiar with now, we're going to go straight on into our quick fire round of questions so that we can get to know Emma a bit better. So Emma, first of all, I know that you write your 24 hours on a plate column in the Waitrose Weekend magazine. I'm a big fan of it myself. I wondered if you have a most memorable guest that you've interviewed for that column. Um, Actually, I would have to say that it's Charlotte Hawkins um, from GMTV. And the reason why is because she scored a trailblazing five out of five. Um, Her diet was absolutely perfect in in my eyes, um, in in the sense that she was covering all the Eat Well Guide recommendations that she could achieve. And it's very rare for a celebrity to get a score of five out of five. And of course, there are worst case scenarios, and I've given a one in the past as well. And I've been the topic of... um, an article by the Pope um, complaining as to why I had given someone a one out of five. So yes, it's it's a topic that everyone seems to have an interest to and, and they turn the pages over automatically to see the article. Yeah, I'm not surprised to be honest with you. I often cover up the score that you've given them, do a little analysis myself, see what I'd give them and see how that compares with what you've given them. So um, that's that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing. Um, Second question, Emma, who inspires you? I think first and foremost, and this is going to sound a bit different, is my dad. Um, And the reason why my dad inspires me is because... um, He's always done things differently and um, took a chance in the 70s to move to Ireland. He never, as my mother would say, knew one end of a cow from the other. Um, He taught himself to become a farmer. And um, we ended up moving from England to Ireland when I was a child. And he built a house that my mother went to school in um, when Grand Designs, before Grand Designs existed. 
So, um, yes, just seeing how he's achieved things and how they've had no mortgage on their property and they've worked so hard, um, it would have to be my dad. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Do you think you'll be moving to a farm anytime soon yourself? Not really, but we do have a deer farm on the border of Northern Ireland. And uh, my brothers are quite interested in setting up um, retreat centres there. It's on the edge, nestled on the edge of a forest. So it's in the perfect setting um, to be able to have sort of like yoga, health and well-being retreats. And I can see that that's something that we'll be doing in the future. And indeed, my dad has planted a specific wood there. And my brother last year set up specific campsites. So you never know what might happen in the future. Maybe that could be a Waitrose uh, wellness retreat. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. So final question, Emma, how do you relax in your probably limited spare time, I imagine? So this morning um, at half past seven, I was on my yoga mat um, practicing yin yoga. Um, and usually I do a series of both vinyasa flow I uh, usually do vinyasa flow in the evenings and do yin yoga in the mornings. Um, and I do it with one of the partners in the business who, uh, yeah, she's been working with yoga with myself for the last four or five years. Um, and it's absolutely got me through the last two years because, you know, we're living on my own and being here and needing to have something else to focus on. So that and uh, walking the doggy that's underneath my feet, um, taking her um, along the, the pathway to along the River Thames to Henley is a lovely walk to take her on. Lovely. Yeah. Can't beat a dog when you're working remotely, can you? So we're going to delve into our topics for discussion now and I wanted to begin by asking you Emma to tell us a bit about your journey leading up to you becoming a health manager at Waitrose. First of all I wondered what inspired you to study nutrition in the first place? So for me um, if we go back to my father and the fact that we you know we moved to Ireland he became a farmer out of nothing um, so food has always been part and parcel of my life um, from when I was a child um, I had to milk the cows before I went to school. So when I left school, I studied food technology and management um, because I was interested in, you know, I knew where the food came from, but how it's processed. And the area that I was uh, raised in, in the Republic of Ireland is very much a food focused environment. There's lots of dairy manufacturers, there's Monaghan mushrooms, places like that. Um, so I studied for a degree in food technology management in Coleraine in Northern Ireland, and I ended up doing a dissertation in consumer food choice. I did a placement experience in um, the University of Zagreb um, and basically carried out a consumer survey looking at food choices. And as a result of doing this, so it was understanding the psychology of food choices. And as a result of this, I met my dissertation supervisor, who was a psychologist working in the nutrition department. So um, when I finished my degree, I got one of 10 scholarships, a millennial scholarship to do my PhD. Um, and she had offered this up this PhD, which was the exploration of food and nutrients for the enhancement of mood. So the nutrition came in then at that stage of my career, you know, I would have done modules in it as part of my degree, but then very much so carrying out the clinical intervention trials and, and things like that. Um, lecturing at university, um, being a demonstrator, lab demonstrator, those kind of things is what I was um, experiencing at the time. Um, so yes, my PhD in, in human nutrition 
um, led on to my career path um, today. But originally, I had planned to become a lecturer in human nutrition. Um, but they say, tell God your plans and you'll end up doing something else. Um, and as life would have it, I needed to move away from the area. And so a role came up um, at the Matter Hospital in Dublin in stroke research. Um, and they were looking for a nutritionist to work with them uh, on this uh, stroke epidemiological study. And basically, I, I went to work in the hospital. And I guess from that perspective, I realized when you're sitting on the edge of a hospital bed of someone who has 24 hours left to live, you really realize the, the importance of having a healthy body. Um, and so for me, that cut my teeth in public health and understanding that the role I could have could make a difference in saving people's lives and keeping them healthy. And after that stint, there was two different stints in hospital research an opportunity came up at the British Nutrition Foundation. And, you know, you think you know about nutrition, go and work for the British Nutrition Foundation. You get absolutely get a real excellent grounding in human nutrition. And there I became one of the nutrition scientists. Uh, I studied, um, I was trained in media, um, media services. Um, and basically I ended up becoming scientific editor of, editor of the Nutrition Bulletin. So from then, um, so really enjoyed that experience because every day was different there and understanding the importance of public health nutrition. But I always had the feeling that I wanted to go back to my roots of, you know, where the food comes from and an opportunity came up a Waitrose, which was originally a maternity leave post. Um, and um, I spoke to Moira Harry and she said to me, if you want to apply for this role, you need to have... Um, food technology qualification of some description she was thinking that I was a pure nutritionist at the time and I said to her well actually I have a degree in food technology and she just said to me you dark horse and um, so that really helped me to get the job in food retail because at the time we either had degrees in food science or degrees in nutrition whereas now the degrees are in food and they tend to be in food and nutrition obviously dietetics is, is separate as well um, so and then I ended up loving it and staying on at Waitrose because there were so many different opportunities. And, and we talk about if we go back to the hospital setting where I was counting strokes in A&E and seeing people in really serious circumstances, you think about what we can do to help people. How can you change the nation's diet? Well, the best way to do that is to become a retail nutritionist because of all the foods that we, the touch points, the foods that we sell, the interaction with food manufacturers, farmers, the suppliers and things like that. So it's a real opportunity to shape the food supply chain. Yeah, very interesting. And, and in a moment, I'm going to ask you a bit more about your role and, and how you actually go about doing that. Just before I do, can you talk us through your journey with Waitrose? Because I know you've been with them for a number of years and I believe you actually joined in a slightly different role to the role that you're currently in today. Um, can you talk us through that journey in terms of your, your role at Waitrose? Yes, so initially I, I started as a senior nutritionist. Um, like I say earlier, it was in a, a maternity leave post um, and in those days um, nutritionists our team for sure were jack of all trades we did a bit of absolutely everything so that role involved um, 
all sorts of things in, in terms of um, product development, reformulation, the story of, of the food as it's being developed all the way through um, commercially to, to selling it, engaging with NGOs, engaging with um, charities. Um, just every day was different, really. Um, policy development, uh, working on in new research areas, for example, omega-3 chicken, um, working closely um, with government organisations, the BRC. So uh, it was a much broader role at that stage as a senior nutritionist. And then after that, I then moved into a role as a nutrition manager. Um, and that role came into play as a result of... Um, so basically, we were doing an awful lot of trials in Waitrose um, in the early years, and we were trying to see where the opportunities were for nutrition and health and what could we do differently. So um, at the time, I was asked to, you know, given my background um, in academia, I have a background in, in lecturing at university, um, Moira asked me to consider whether or not I wanted to get involved in training some branch partners around the area of healthy eating. So um, what we did was we set up a pilot study with literally, I think it was about eight partners in one of our local branches to see whether or not we could train them around the Eat Well Guide recommendations and whether or not that they could actually support partners, support customers, sorry, um, in making healthier choices. Um, bearing in mind these, you know, they have no, no qualifications as such um, and making sure that they knew um, not to, not that they couldn't give any nutrition one-to-one -one advice. So it's basically someone enters the supermarket, um, they need some help in making healthier food choices, um, picking specific product products off the supermarket shelves. So um, yeah, we set up this pilot study. And then in that particular year, I think it was um, in 2018, uh, I ended up training probably over 200 partners in what is now known as the healthy eating specialist role. So um, that particular year, I trained probably about 10 different groups over the course of that year and acquired Association for Nutrition certification for the course, which is really quite detailed um, because it goes completely through Eat Well Guide recommendations. It talks about um, trusted information sources, um, reading food labels, um, nutrition and health claims legislation, that kind of thing, um, and making sure that they can understand the difference between science, evidence-based science, and things like fake news and stuff like that. So that led on to my role as a health, um, sorry, nutrition manager, um, advice and training. And then uh, last year, uh, my role changed again to become a health manager. And so what that may, means is, um, so my health manager role is in communications and customer inspiration. So the idea behind that role was to make sure that we had more defined roles within the business so that, for example, someone else could work specifically on the product side. And my role was the inspirational piece, the communications about our products, the communications in and around healthy eating, healthier choices, that inspiration piece. And then working specifically on our publications a little bit more. So um, in addition to doing the 24-hour column and working with the weekend features, also working on Waitrose Health magazine, 
and then more recently um, experimenting with things like um, social media. So communicating with customers in a different way. Interesting. And do you think that the way that you communicate with your customers has changed as a result of COVID? Um, in terms of the healthy eating specialists, they used to provide store tours um, so that they could, you know, a number of customers could be brought around the store and shown the different areas. Um, so definitely that all stopped because of COVID, because of the two metre rule. Um, so, yes, that has changed i mean certainly even internally for all of us you know the very fact that we're doing this recording as we are now um is very very different and indeed you know not necessarily speaking about customers now speaking about our partners you know it was important you know during covid to make sure that the health and well-being of our partners was you know their needs were being met so i um developed a 12-week eat well feel well campaign where we basically were um helping them to set goals, understand what healthy eating was, things like mood, sleep, immune function, those kind of things, and engaging through this kind of platform where I was, you know, at that time I was recording um, presentations, you know, using this media before anyone else in the business was doing it and literally sharing videos of myself so that I could reach out to people to understand how they could help themselves in in the circumstances. Thank you. That's really interesting. And I just wanted to go back to this term that you've been using quite a lot, partners. Um, Now, having worked at Waitrose myself in my younger days, I I have a bit of an understanding about being a Waitrose partner or John Lewis partner. But can you explain to our listeners who might not be so familiar, what does it actually mean to be a partner of Waitrose? So, um, yes, our business is a John Lewis partnership. So it's, you know, sorry that there's two two elements to the business is John Lewis and and partners and there's Waitrose and partners. And what it means is there's uh, over 76,000 employees of the business and we call each other partners. Um, And that means we're all co-owners of our own business. So we all work together together. um, towards the success of the business and we all share in the profits of the business, that kind of thing. So it's different. It's a different model um, compared to other retailers who have um, shareholders and investors in their businesses, whereas we don't. So we're answerable to uh, committees as such. Yeah, that's no, really interesting model. Thanks for clarifying that. So I just want to go back to your day-to-day work as a health manager at Waitrose what does a typical day look like for you and I appreciate it's probably not a typical day for you but can you just talk us through what you what we might find you doing on a certain day um today you will you would find me um cross-checking proofs for the Waitrose Health magazine that's going to be um on shelves in May um and that can be um it's, it's a, a quite a piece of work because I, I check every single page in the magazine to make sure that it's regulatory compliant. Um, we I get involved in the in the development of the articles before they go through, making sure that they're evidence based information, that kind of thing. So, I mean, that's today. But, you know, weaved in through that day, there'll be um, meetings with um, different partners within the business, different directorates. Um, It'll also be maybe um, engagement with uh, research organizations on potential research that we're supporting. Um, There'll also be um, perhaps working on our holistic living range and working towards the development of products, attending meetings in that regard. 
maybe in, engaging with um, maybe engaging with our supply chain for people who are looking to um, maybe um, provide uh, either own label or branded products into the business. It just it just depends. You know, one minute you can think that actually today's going to be quite quiet. I don't have a lot in my diary. And then in like an instant, the day changes completely. And it just depends what reports are out, what's going on in the external environment, never mind what's going on internally. Um, so yes, the day and the week can run away with it, itself. And then suddenly you find yourself halfway through the year. Um, so, and it's planning as well, um, nutrition strategy, looking at customer insight, that kind of thing. So it's very, very varied. Yeah, sounds like it definitely keeps you on your toes. Um, each day is different. So going back to some of the uh, projects that you've personally been involved with, you spoke to us earlier about the um, health eating specialists that you've trained up. But are there any other exciting projects that you can tell us a bit about? I know when I chatted to you before, Emma, you talked a bit about helping to develop this holistic living range. Can you tell us a bit more about that, for example? So the holistic living range is... Um meant to be providing products to meet uh, current changing consumer needs. So whether they want um, vegetarian, vegan products, whether they want um, supplements, um, gut health. So it's a whole range of different products that are available to the consumer, depending on what their own specific nutrition and health needs are. Um, So yes, the holistic living range has been available in branches for it must be nearly two years now in our branches and so we're continually developing the different types of products that are are available whether they're gut health related cereals soups yogurts or whether there's you know supplements that are available um so it's right across the plate breakfast cereals anything juices uh ready meals so there is quite a range in there Do you consult with um, other experts when helping to develop that range? For example, do you have much interaction with your other Waitrose nutritionists? Um, At the moment, I am specifically involved in holistic living as as the nutritionist lead in that area. But from a food, from a product nutrition perspective, I would would liaise with um, Dr. Joanne Lung. So um, Joe sets, you know, the targets in terms of um, reformulation um, for salt, sugar, that kind of thing, saturated fat, um, and sets the policy, our nutrition and health policy. So it's making sure that everything that we do is in line with our policies. And when you're developing a new product for the holistic living range, for example, how long does that process generally take from um an idea to actually being on the shelves is I imagine it's quite a lengthy journey now I'm I may get this wrong but it could it could take anything from a year from inception to being on on the shelves and anything can happen um, within the development of a product so you know you could be revising the recipe um, and then while you're um, making your products you've also got to think about the packaging what the labeling is going to look like um, and then whether or not there can also be problems as you go through the supply chain, um, making sure that the ingredients are all available. So, for example, what's happening in the external environment currently um, with food, food supply chain issues that might impact products that we're currently developing, if that makes sense. I, I hope I'm making sense. If, if they're not, ingredients aren't are less available 
then that can hinder the process. If there's a problem with the packaging, it can it can slow things down and launches can be in the diary and then they can stretch out. It just depends. It's just different for every product. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what about when you have changes to legislation, for example, um, you know, guidance on levels of fat, salt, sugar in products? What happens if that legislation comes in once you're about to launch a product? Would you presumably have to delay that launch and then kind of go back to the books? Um, I think, well, with with the legislation, there'd certainly be a deadline in place. So, yes, you'd have to recheck and go back to the product and make sure that it was compliant. Um, uh, Yeah, so that you could produce the product for sure. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you face in your role, particularly around supporting on the, the holistic living range? Um, I think it's not necessarily challenges as such, but um, for consumers to understand what healthy foods are, as I I would suggest, because um, there is this perception perhaps that um, a vegan food is automatically healthy when it's not necessarily the case. Um, So it's steering them towards um, the healthier choices. Um, and making sure that they are not missing out on any um, valuable micronutrients by um, excluding whole food groups from their diet. So it's making sure that the foods that they're, they, they, they're buying um, will help them nutritionally. And when you talk about educating the consumer to be able to make that well-informed choice when it comes to choosing a food product, how do you get involved with that in your role? I know you've talked a lot about the Waitrose magazine, for example, but what are the different communication outlets that you're involved with in t- from an educational perspective? So a really good example would be the healthy eating specialist. So um, back a few years ago, when Veganuary was starting to become popular, we created a, a vegan store tour. And that was available for anyone that was considering um, going vegan during Veganuary so that they could go into Waitrose. They could have a, um, a store tour with a healthy eating specialist and understand the different foods that they could consume to, ins- to ensure that their, their diet was healthy. Um, so and with that, there would have been leaflets, recipes that kind of information, obviously communications through Waitrose Weekend and the health magazine, as you've mentioned, um, and in some cases on social media, but also, and I think a lot of people don't realize that we've got a lot of content on our website. So if you went to waitrose.com forward slash healthy eating, there's an awful lot of information on there. And there's a lot of some really brilliant recipes as well that are really healthy. So they're what we would call our good health recipes on there so um, and then also I guess it's getting involved when we're asked to invited to speak at different sessions and and things like that I've done cookery school events where customers have come in and they've had a a food demo and I've spoken to them about you know um, food and mood that kind of thing why why would this recipe um, be beneficial what are the micronutrients that it contains what the different micronutrients do um, so it just depends on the audience. You can have a very small message or you can have a wider message, but it just depends how it gets out um, into the public domain. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Thank you, Emma. Um, in terms of the uh, weekend magazine that you've talked about earlier, the 24 hours on the plate, I just want to go back to that and 
ask you how you go about the scoring and for people who are not familiar with the 24 hours on a plate um i'm sure emma perhaps you can just give a bit of background to it um first of all um so yeah if you could give that background and then explain how you go about doing your analysis that would be very interesting to hear so 24 hours on a plate is um where a celebrity is um, asked to basically um, record everything that they've consumed over the course of 24 hours. Um, So for the celebrity, it's about them illustrating a day in the life uh, of their diet. But for the nutritionist, in in my case, it's a a way of demonstrating um, for our readers what is a healthy, balanced diet. And so how I look at it is through the lens of the Eat Well Guide recommendations. So it's whether or not that they've had starchy carbohydrates with every meal, whether or not they've achieved five a day, have they had enough fluids? Are they drinking too much alcohol? Are they indulging too much in high fat, salt, um, sugary foods, that kind of thing? And I take what I would call a misdemeanor off for every, um, yeah, I take a mark off for every misdemeanor is what I should say. Um, so things like if they don't have starchy carbohydrates with every meal, as we know, it provides a source of energy. They don't take get enough fiber in their diet um, that the marks will be taken off. And the idea of it is that if someone's reading that column, that they can actually say to themselves, actually, my diet's a bit like that. And she only gave them a three. So why did she do that? Why did she give them the three? So even though people think they're they're reading about the celebrity, from my perspective, they're getting an opportunity to take a recheck in their mind about what a healthy, balanced diet should be. And, you know, oftentimes people will write in to say, I don't understand why they got, you know, a two out of five. They should have got more. Um, And in some cases, whether, you know, they were embarking on specific food trends um, and some consumers might think that they should have got the five, but actually not realizing that the food trends weren't as healthy as they they thought. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I've always wondered. And I also wanted to ask you, how do you go about choosing the celebrities? Do you put a call out for any celeb that might be interested or do they come to you? They come in through the Waitrose um, Health Magazine, uh, Health, sorry, Waitrose Weekend um, paper. So I don't choose them myself to do the interview. And the interviews are done separately to me. I don't interview them personally myself. Rather, I get the interview. It comes in to me and then I cross-check it. Fascinating. I'd love you to analyse my diet and see what score I would get. Um, so I want I want to ask you, um, going back to you know the value of nutrition professionals working in retail. What do you think are the um, the the unique skill sets that we offer as nutrition professionals to a retail setting? Um, we provide scientific evidence based information. We're the voice of reason. Um, you know, because the thing is, everybody eats food. So then everybody has an opinion about food and they have their own perception of what something is actually healthy or not. When in reality, they might not realize that by following a specific diet or trend that they may inadvertently be impacting their health. And building on that, Emma, what impact do you think that as a retail nutritionist yourself, you can have on public health? Um, as a retail nutritionist, we get involved in reformulation. So it's um, making the food healthier um, at point of sale. 
um, so that our consumers can make healthier choices. So it's not just the food, it's the messaging, it's the reasons to purchase, that kind of thing. I hope I answered your question correctly, just if you want to rephrase it. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And in terms of the future directions, I know we talked earlier about the impact of COVID on how you communicate with consumers, customers rather. Um, do, you, do you think that the future of influencing public health from a retail perspective is going to change? For example, do you think tech's going to play more of a role in that? Perhaps apps or online health programs? Can you talk us through that in a bit more information? Oh, I definitely um, think that technology is king. Uh, that is where we're headed in the future. I mean, even if you just look at, you know, consumers sh- increase shopping online, um, the absorption of information, that kind of thing. Um, so maybe a lot more online assistance, helping with healthier choices, um, rewards for health, perhaps, um, rewards for yeah activity, um, I think, yeah, a lot of it is is heading down the route of technology and the digital world. Yeah, you talk about rewards. I know there are certain health insurance companies, for example, that will reward you if they see that you, you've walked a number of steps per day, for example. And, and I know we heard about that in the nutritionists and industry meeting yesterday, Emma, um, which leads me on to my next question, actually, which is about your group, the nutritionists and industry. So um, this is a fantastic networking group for anyone listening who's not familiar with it. In fact, I attended my first ever meeting yesterday. Um, I wanted to ask you what led to you becoming the chair of the UK Nutritionists and Industry Group? And why do you think it's important to build this professional support network of other nutrition professionals around you? So in terms of nutritionists and industry, I was a member of the committee um, during my time when I was at British Nutrition Foundation. Um, and at the time, you know, I really realized the value of um, the different meetings that we were having um, so, for example, nutritionists in industry, you know, it's a group of like minded individuals. Um, so it's it, the coming together of um, qualified individuals in food science and nutrition and dietetics um, to be able to discuss ideas regarding nutrition within the industry sector. Um, and the aim of the group is to raise the profile of nutritionists and dietitians working in the food industry um, as credible sources of information and knowledge and expertise. Um, that can be of benefit to the industry and ultimately the consumer. So, um, yes, the organisation is open to people working as a nutritionist or a dietitian in industry. Um, And what we have is we've got three meetings per year, so the continuous professional development. And what I found is through the committee is that we get to organise some really brilliant meetings on topics that actually matter to those working in, in industry. Um, so I you know I really enjoy um, chairing uh, NII and that came about as a result of um, when I was on the committee, Anna Wheeler was the, the chair of NII um, and they were looking for a new chair at the time. And, and Anna said to me, she said, I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, oh, I'm not so sure. And then I kind of had a word with myself and I thought, you know what, if I can't do this, with my current lifestyle, you know, what's going on in my life without my, you know, I don't have family commitments and things like that. I thought, you know, if I can't do this at this stage of my career, when can I do it? And I was a bit nervous about it and standing up in front of everyone at the very beginning. But then after a while, when I, when I did my first meeting, 
I just absolutely loved it. And that's why I consider the nutritionists and industry group to me is like a very large family of people who are extremely passionate about what they do. And I think, you know, um, externally, people need to realize that the nutritionists that are working in the industry really do care about the foods that we're providing um, and the services we provide. So, um, you know, we do what we can internally with our respective businesses to do the right thing. Thank you for sharing that, Emma. And I can really vouch for your passion coming across in the meetings. I attended my first meeting yesterday, actually, for the NII group. And um, I think it was very evident there was a really um, engaging group of professionals there, you know, supporting one another. We have popped the link to the NII website into the show notes. So if anyone is listening and would like to have a look at the website or consider joining, please do feel free to do so. Um, could you give us a few examples of recent presentations that you've delivered as part of the NII group, Emma? I know we had a great event yesterday. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about what, what your speakers covered in yesterday's event. And um, so um, yesterday we were covering um, food policy. So there's a, there's a lot of change going on currently in the external environment, which sometimes can be pretty, pretty hard to get your head around. So we invited um, uh, Andrea from the BRC and Amy from the Food and Drink Federation to talk to us about um, the policies that were coming down the line that we as the nutritionists and dietitians working in the sector need to um, work towards meeting these policies and to influence um, people in our respective businesses to make the changes um, and to understand the implications of the policies that are coming down the line. So I thought yesterday's meeting was um, very informative. Um, it just shows you the length and breadth of you know, what's going on in the external environment and how any challenges that we're facing. But other meetings, you know, we've, we've carried out another one on sustainable diets, for, for, for instance. Um, I think that was uh, last year. Um, it's difficult because we've been in COVID. So a lot of our meetings are much shorter. So two years ago, we had full day meetings. Sometimes they would be on one particular theme or else they'll be split across the course of two days. Um, so what we've been doing from members, we've been trying to find shorter meetings um, to make sure that we're meeting members' needs. But I'm certainly hoping to get out there and meet members face-to-face -face in the summer months. Yeah, I think everybody will be ready to return to face-to-face -face by the summer. Um, so that probably leads me on to the million dollar question then, which is, in your opinion, Emma, how can we best influence the nation's diet and what role do you think retailers play in doing so? I think that you might not think that you're having an influence in your own little circle. Um, but as I used to say to the healthy eating specialists, we, you know, when they speak to a customer, for instance, that one message, that one thing that you, you, you spoke to someone about and you explained to them that this is a healthy choice over this um, can actually have a ripple effect and it can actually influence people's lives. And I think the more that we all do that in our respective areas, the greater influence that we can have in changing the nation's diet. Um, and like I say, we're all passionate individuals um, trying to do the right thing. Um, so, yes, we can try and 
influence from within. And we can also try and support each other across the sector of the people that are working in the in the other areas. Mm, absolutely. No, thank you very much for sharing that. And I'm, I'm curious to hear, you've got so much going on in your role as health manager at Waitrose, loads of exciting projects that you've talked to us about today. What would you say you most enjoy about your job, Emma? This comes back to my time working in the hospital. Um, it's the ability to change someone's life with a little bit of information. Um, so, for example, some of the things that I've really enjoyed working on, the healthy eating specialists, because I know how brilliant they are. And I've seen some of the customer feedback that we've had from them. They've got regular customers that go into to them and have conversations with. Um, and also internally in our partnership for me. Um, so we developed menopause guidance this year. Um, being able to help partners in that regard with information. Um, also, I mentioned earlier on in the interview doing um, sort of like the Eat Well, Feel Well campaign that I ran during COVID, knowing that it was helping someone somehow to be that bit healthier. Um, you mentioned the health eating specialists again, and I just wanted to ask, is that something that is in all branches across the UK at the moment, or is it only in selected branches? It's in selected branches. And if you go to waitrose.com forward slash health eating specialist, you should find a list of branches on there. Um, we have now, we've lost a few um, as, as by the very nature of um partners working in branches people do move around um, in employment in terms of working in, in retail um, so we now have 125 healthy eating specialists and we have one in each of our cookery schools um, so I guess it's a case of just asking at the desk the welcome desk to see if there's a healthy eating specialist available but bearing in mind that a lot of them don't work on a full-time basis. So you might get an answer that they're in on a Thursday, for instance, but it's just understanding, do you have a healthy eating specialist? Are they available? When could I speak to someone because I need help choosing a product or I need help reading a food label? I think that's really interesting because I know in America, having spoken to you know American dietitians who work in retail uh, environments, it's quite common out there to be able to go into a supermarket and you know have a tour of, of healthy products, etc. So I think this will be really useful to dietitians listening who perhaps want to signpost their, their patients to um, an advisor within a supermarket. So definitely worth having a look on the website, like you said, Emma, to see if there's a specialist in a branch near to you. Um, so as we come towards the end of this episode, I wondered if you have any advice for any listeners who are interested in pursuing a role similar to yours as health manager at Waitrose. What top tips would you give to them and where can they go and look for similar kinds of jobs? Um, make sure you've got some um, experience or uh, qualifications in food science as well as nutrition. Uh, yeah, try and get as much experience as you possibly can in the area. Um, media training would be an advantage. Um, specifically, I guess we're moving into a different world of communication. So an interest, I would have thought, in social media, that kind of thing, writing copy. Um, yeah, and definitely um, maybe even from a background of um, product development, working in the food ma manufacturing environment. The role is so broad, you see. So it, it's just making sure, I would, I would suggest looking, find the job you want, um, and get the experience you need to get it. 
wise words of wisdom. And I know from following um, yourself on LinkedIn, Emma, you regularly post opportunities um, and jobs and things. So we have linked to Emma's LinkedIn profile in the show notes, as well as her social media handles. Um, Emma, my final question to you is what would you like the main takeaway message to be from today's podcast episode? Put you on the spot there, I know. (laughs) I think that we've got to take um, healthier eating um, a little step at a time, I would suggest. Uh, If people are struggling to make healthier choices, um, it can sometimes feel like it's too difficult, um, but it's just making small changes and little swaps. Um, That's for a consumer that might be listening. And then I guess for those of us that are working in the industry, it's trying to find ways that we can make it easier for the consumer to be healthier. Um, And that's what they need. They need need the the quick wins of what they can do to be healthier. Yeah, small steps, big progress. Brilliant. Well, that's a really powerful um, message from Emma. And I'd like to thank you, Emma, for your time and for sharing your valuable experience and knowledge with us on the Dietitian Cafe. And a huge thank you to New Outra for making this podcast possible. If you enjoy listening to the Dietitian Cafe, please consider subscribing or leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more healthcare professionals. You can follow New Outra on social media at New Outra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening and our next episode will be out soon. 